This week, co-creators of Childish, Rye Dorsey and Zachary Goldberg, join me in a lively and comical conversation about their work and their time in college. Sometimes you reminisce about the antics you and your friends and rivals got up to. Sometimes you make a podcast musical about it. Our conversation, right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hello, and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez-Collins. If you have not yet heard Childish, you can do so in the previous episode, where we play RAs in the Hood. Rye and Zachary are the co-founders of Whalebus, the podcast production collective that houses Childish, as well as beloved fiction podcasts like The Van. They were very obliging. They talked about their time in college, their views on being a resident advisor versus interacting with one, and even the ongoing dread of their impending future, TM, a familiar feeling to anyone graduating from any kind of education level. Childish is predominantly about that dread, about the future and trying to make something of it for yourself in the situation that you find yourself in. As a result, the story touches smartly upon many issues that impact your future and the way you live it racism, institutional oppressive structures and systems, intercommunity rivalries, and moral value systems, among others. Put on your dancing shoes. It's time to go to school and sing about it with Rye and Zachary. So thank you both for coming on to Radio Drama Revival to talk about Childish. I'm really excited to talk to you both. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. So the the two of you are co-founders of Whale Bus, which is the uh, production collective that creates Childish, among several other podcasts. And I'd love to start off with what was your experiences like in setting up Whale Bus? So basically, Ryan and I uh, went to school together, um, went to college together, and uh, we met freshman year and we're like you know, kind of friends. They liked Star Wars and I liked Star Wars and <laughs> <laughs> emphasis on liked too much Star Wars now. Too much, I don't and, like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we, yeah, you know, we kind of hit it off and, um, you know, the first creative project we did together was a Star Wars fan film called Star Wars Episode Great, The Empire Smiles Back. Amazing. And <laughs> We, uh, yeah, I don't know, we found that we liked working with each other and we saw that the school radio station was looking for people to do podcasts. So we came up with, uh, we, we realized that we both love sci-fi and, you know, the, the history of the future of what people thought the future was like. And so we, we started a podcast at the school radio station called Looking Back at Tomorrow about retrofuturism and... From there, you know, I, we were there for about a year or so, and I think it just, at the time, the environment was not so great, and it was just a little bit toxic, and so for a number of reasons, we decided to leave, and in um, the sadness of it all as we, you know, <laughs> lamented to each other at the table, our heads in our forehead, you know, or like whatever words, our foreheads in our hands, we were like, you know... Um, we still love doing this. We love making podcasts. It was sort of a new thing to us and we liked working together. And so we thought it would be fun to start our own collective. And so that's how we got to Whale Bus. 
Right. Actually, picking up from that point, um, how did you two go about starting Whalebus? So, yeah, after we figured we wanted to do something, uh, we were trying to figure out a way that we could incorporate a lot of our friends um, in like different projects just because we had a lot of creative friends because we went to film school. And kind of just from there, we, you know, we, we got people we really liked, like um, M, who does The Van, which is another good show. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, Elise, who also, you know, wrote so- an episode for uh, Childish. Uh, she started a show called Storyblocks, which was a really fun like, little experimental project we did where um, it was like a, like a game of telephone where one writer would wipe the first part of a story and then give it to another writer and that writer would then like continue it on and they they would only get to read like the previous writer's story so like by the end it was like in this like really weird place that no one else could have predicted (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was just a really fun way to like uh, work with creative people that we know that's really great. I that exercise sounds like a lot of fun. It was cool and Elise is amazing, so she yeah. I believe it. I've seen it kind of happen a little bit like on Twitter and Twitter threads. Um, oh, that's fun. A little bit like that, but like instead of like the next section it's just like the next line yeah. or the next two lines or something. Yeah. And the name by the way, Whale Bus um comes I didn't even mention that from looking back at tomorrow from that show that Ryan and I did to start it out um, because in the very first episode, we talked about this prediction from 1889, yeah. 29, maybe. Oh, okay. I, maybe it's from an, it's from an illustration. Yeah. I read your website. <laughs> yeah. I have not looked in a long time, so uh, don't quote me on any of that, but it was by this guy, Jean-Marc Cate, who did a bunch of these like little cigarette box illustrations of what the future would look like. And so they're these awesome, like weird steampunk things. And and one of them was, it was like a whale bus. And it was like, <laughs> literally like this little floaty, uh, you know, little vessel that's just attached by rope <laughs> to a whale. <laughs> <laughs> and there was just something that we we really loved about that. And the windows, you can see like the hoity-toity like people like, oh, yes. Right. <laughs> like, ooh, ah, looking at all the fit. Yeah. So. Amazing. <laughs> I want one of those. I'm still waiting. Yeah. yeah where's, I know, right? where's my whale Jeez. bus? Speaking of things that we are still waiting for. <laughs> um <laughs> In looking back at tomorrow, as you mentioned, you know, that's a retrofuturism podcast. And you talk about, you know, how the predictions of our future have changed over time. And looking back, it makes me it makes me wonder, how are you thinking about the future lately? In the past, we thought the future would have more jetpacks, more whale buses, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so what do you think today's uh, jetpacks are? Because we know what today's whale bus is. <laughs> It's an inter- interesting mm-hmm. question. Um, I feel like, like the the our relationships in the future is so weird now. I guess because everything mm-hmm. is so up in the air. Like, like don't even know. What are you talking about? I'm having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone on this chat, right. on this talk is having a great yeah, time. Yeah, it's just an awesome time to be alive right now. Um, but I, so yeah, it, it's it's kind of weird, and the, the whole idea of the jetpack. Like even like back then, me and Zach were talking about this. It's like not 
it's not like practical at all. Like it's not something you would want. Like it was never a good idea. (laughs) It's awful. It's, it would be heavy. You wouldn't want to carry it. Inefficient. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just like that imaginative soul of it that I think is, is fun. And I feel like there's probably stuff like that, uh, where like, like maybe like wearables where like, it's not very practical, but maybe like, it'd be cool to have like a watch that can, can control your microwave, I guess, or things like that. (laughs) I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also a very specific type of prediction for the future. Like, um, I feel like now whenever I'm, um, thinking about the future and not panicking and rolling into a ball, I'm, you know, mostly thinking about things like broad sweeping changes, like things like clean energy and, you know, um, or how is technology going to affect whatever. But, you know, the jetpack is like an expression of um, desire for personal luxury. It's like a very individualist prediction for the future. Mm -hmm. And so I, I guess like, you know, I, 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 I can't get into the mind of anyone back then. And I don't know, maybe they were also thinking about, you know, the, I'm, I'm sure people were thinking about also broader, you know, big changes to worry about in, in the earth's future. But that desire for a jetpack comes so much from like, I just want to do this cool thing. And so I guess the equivalent of that would be something like wearable, you know, te- wearable smartphone on your elbow or wrist or whatever, you know, they're always talking. It's something like to what Rye is saying. Your elbow. I, I, I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> it, but it's all, you know, I just think, you know, I think about that sometimes how like when I hear people say like, oh, where's my flying car? Where's my jetpack? And like, they're not wrong, um, you know, and I, I pity them as I sit on my whale bus. But like, <laughs> it, it is a very different kind of prediction for the future, you know, that I don't think was ever going to happen i don't know and i think they're like as we're making the show like you think about the things that people thought of and some of the stuff we actually have and like it's just we don't use it the same way like yeah like we were looking at like video phone technology and like it we have facetime but like realistically no one wants to be able to facetime all the time really not no like, no one wants to have a camera so it's just it's a it's funny to think about this those things but who knows? Maybe, yeah, maybe 50 years from now, you know, we'll be like, this was the jetpack of her. I don't know. <laughs> See you in 50 years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, now let's transition into talking about Childish. So on the uh, Indiegogo for Childish, you talk about the inspiration being the existential dread inherent in post-graduation and the search for <laughs> validation. First of all, big mood. I'm in grad school. Um, <laughs> uh, second, what does the search for validation mean to each of you? And what form has it taken now that you've both graduated? I think especially when, you know, you're right about to graduate or like some big life thing is about to happen and things are about to change for you. Like we get it in our minds that there's just like, a path that we have to take and we just have to figure out what that path is. And then suddenly we'll just be in another place that we want to be. But the, the like reality is like probably like most of the choices we're thinking about and like the things that we're going to do, they're not going to really change. Like, like not one thing is not going to change your entire life forever. Like just one decision, like, cause you could 
like you have a whole lifetime to change it, you know? So it's just like being able to be okay with not knowing how your choices are going to affect your life and just like being able to, you know, just think and be in that moment. And I think that's what childish is sort of getting at just the idea that you, there is no path to success. Like it's just, and if there is a path that's going to be winding, it's not like if you do all these things, suddenly you're going to feel okay about yourself and be successful. Right. Like all of, all of the characters in the show want to feel when, when we say that they want to feel validated, you know, they all want to feel like they're making the right choices. Like they're doing, they're taking the path that they're supposed to, which is where the idea kind of came from. Um, and at the time that we were making it, we were feeling a lot of that pressure. You know, we were both um, in the last year or two of film school, which, you know, already a very uncertain, <laughs> a major fraught with uncertainty <laughs> to choose. And I think we were kind of like, you know, I'd, I'd look at people who were able to say, I'm, I want to produce children's content for this network and that's what I'm going to do. And they had a very clear plan for how they wanted to do it, to achieve it. And that was awesome. And I, I wished I could do that. And so, yeah, you know, I think what it, when we say validation, it's wanting to be told that, yeah, you're, you're making the right decisions. And then each of us sort of express it differently. And each of the characters in the show do too, you know, so um, someone, you know, uh, like, Connie just desperately needs to be liked by everyone. And that's her way of, you know, validation. Duncan just has to sleep with everyone. And that's a form (laughs) of trying to find validation or, you know, um, someone just needs respect. Um, I I guess thinking about it post-graduation, sort of the, the irony of it to me that makes me feel a little better about it all, a little good about it all, is that we sort of did that. Um, in making Childish um, by accident, I guess, because one of the the big pressures as film students, at least I felt this, um, I don't know about Rye, but, you know, was a, most of the students make a thesis film their final year. And there's a lot of pressure. Everyone's like, oh, what, what class are you going to take to do that? What type of film are you going to do? Are you going to do a thesis film? Whatever. And I just was so worried at the time. I really didn't want to at the, at least at that time I was feeling like I hate being on set. I I don't want to do this. It just seems like too much work. Um, I'm enjoying the audio drama and podcast space much more, but I was feeling like, uh Oh, what if I leave college and I don't have any product to show for my work because I didn't make a thesis film. And so it felt like that was the path I was supposed to take. And so instead um, we didn't, you know, make thesis films and we made, just this piece of audio fiction sort of on our own will, not with any class, you know, just because we wanted to. And we're fine. Like, you know, (laughs) post-graduation, we turned out okay. And it even found its audience, which is sort of the icing on the cake. And so, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. I completely agree. I am 50% of the way through my thesis. Good luck. So thank thank you for those very uplifting words, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so the question that has been on my mind, listening to Childish uh, every single time, were either of you RAs at NYU? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I was, and mm-hmm. I am willing to assume that uh, Rye is a little too proud to admit that they weren't <laughs> and <laughs> to remind me that they weren't and that they're much cooler than me. Yeah, please, please make sure that's on the record. I am not, and I have never been an RA. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was an RA, <laughs> um, Elise Morales, um, and Jasmine Elshami, who are the other two writers of the show, were also RAs at some point, um, Elise for a summer and um, Jasmine during the school year. But Rye was at least in some way <laughs> touched by the uh, residential life environment <laughs> at in college and, and could speak to its ins and outs, just maybe not from that perspective. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That was exactly the answer that I was hoping for. <laughs> but I was a very cool RA. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't cool. Oh. <laughs> so, Zachary, since you were an NRA, um, one of the things that, of course, comes up in Childish is, you know, RAs are cops, right? And the, uh, like, power what? imbalance <laughs> slash power trip. I know. Surprising. So I, I would love to hear you talk about how you handled that kind of power when you were an RA. Like as a real-life RA? Oh, okay. Like as a real-life RA. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's, it's weird, <laughs> and it's a lot of, like, psychological pressure to put on a bunch of, like, 19, <laughs> 20-year-olds. Fully agree. Um, you know, I think there's an element going into it that you know exactly what you're doing, and you know that as much as you try to convince yourself that um, you're going to be the cool RA that people like or whatever, like, yeah, there's an element of it that your job is to write people up for whatever. And like, the truth is, you know, it's like, well, you're doing this for whatever incentive, you know, every college I assume is different, but you know, at NYU, it's like the free housing incentive, you know? Um, And it's a little weird. Um, in my own experience, I, I don't know what, I can't speak for other colleges, but it's run where I was very much like a business with a corporate culture. And so the training is very like drink the RA Kool-Aid and like, <laughs> you know, them telling you like, no, we're not cops. Like them, co- like <laughs> we really make a huge difference and never, you know. And are they a, a resource? They are. A re- exactly. <laughs> you might say that they are a resource, um, which is, yes, that word is thrown around like way too much. And that's why we used it. Um, but and, and to some degree, they're not wrong. Like you can make a difference as an RA in, in a lot of kids lives. But it is sort of, yeah, it's inherent in, in what the job is. Um, it was a weird experience. And you know, in many ways, I'm glad I did it. I learned a lot from it, but I'm also very glad that it's done. <laughs> um, and I was very lucky. I just happened to have like both years that I was an RA, um, just amazing, amazing kids on my floors. Um, in fact, the every crowd sound that you hear <laughs> in Childish, whether it's, you know, in a dorm, in an actual dorm, or if it's a stadium, <laughs> is... Uh, the kids on my floor. Oh my God, really? Yeah. yeah they, <laughs> they're amazing. And like, they fully supported this and were like really into it. And like, I think that was why it made it a little easier for me. Cause like I could joke about it with them, you know, about 
how ridiculous the RA job was and, and be pretty straightforward and honest with them. And, you know, I wasn't like looking to write anyone up. So it's not like I was hard on them, but I wouldn't have to be. They were all really great and they were just really cool kids. So yeah, um, I'm forever grateful to them that they are in it. And yeah, there's even one, one line where you can kind of discern someone um, in episode three where uh, they're all chanting like, R.A. Dante, R.A. Dante. And one of the kids goes, no, Radante. <laughs> and they all go, Radante, Radante. And I did not tell them to do that. That was one of, <laughs> one of the residents I recorded. His name's Vish. He's this awesome kid. And yeah, in real life, they called me Razachary sometimes. So like, <laughs> they just, yeah. That's so heartwarming, actually. <laughs> Yeah, they're the best. Oh. Rye, I am now interested to hear about your experience with the RAs that you had <laughs> as someone who was never an RA, because of course that's like super integral to, to childish, right? Is this RAs and then the people on their floors and how they interact with them. Yeah, my interaction with RAs is very low. Like the RAs I had, I would like do the one mandatory meeting and then never talk to them again. (laughs) And like, like, I think my, my fascination with the like RA culture was all like the juicy stories Zachary would tell me, like just the dark underbelly of RAs. (laughs) 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 Like, I'm just like, I I love all that, like political, like underhanding and like trying to like get someone over. And like, uh, I just love all that stuff because like, um, even though, like, I, I do agree, like, you can make a difference, not probably in the way that uh, the higher-ups think you make a difference, <laughs> um, but I also, I, there's something very funny about how serious they take RAing when it's really just, you have to listen to some kids sometimes, and, but I, I just find that really funny, so I think that's my fascination with the RA culture. <laughs> Dark underbelly, huh? We might come back to that later. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. So, um, Childish's uh, music design is rooted in this contrast between the Rockapella's show tunes and Dante's raps. So, what made you gravitate towards this decision? Was it a natural consequence of the story that you wanted to tell? Does it serve an additional purpose? If I can speak for Zachary, I think. <laughs> childish is a uh, manifestation of like his inner turmoil because he's he (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry one second (laughs) yes please go on tell me about my inner turmoil (laughs) because zachary you are like on the surface you are a theater kid you are a disney kid you are like the peppy like spongebob go get him attitude but you're not that. You're like sarcastic and you're you're like you're very you can sometimes be very cynical and like realistic about everything, but you still have this like inner just like Disney just uh, I it, and it's just like that like theater kid, but like not a theater kid like mentality. I think that's like the core of the show. Um <laughs> Well, I, I would just like to say while we're <laughs> Uh, talking about each other that <laughs> the the thing that I hate the most about working with Rye <laughs> is that they are one of the most astute people I know and 
that um, <laughs> in many ways that's that's great. They can describe what we're going for, like a mood or something comedically, like as accurately as more accurately than I ever could. But it also means that they know me better than I do. <laughs> and it's really <laughs> frustrating. <laughs> but yeah, I, I not I suppose yeah, that's not wrong. And um I mean I think part of it is yeah, so like if if you had told me also I'm I I'm a grandpa and like I'm not as dumb as maybe sometimes Rye thinks I am or acts like <laughs> but like yeah I don't know like I can't always name like who the newest artists are or like um you know technology I'll have a hard time with it like it's really embarrassing and so if you had told me like 10 years ago that I was gonna make a rap musical like when I was older it's kind of crazy but it's been fun because like it's great and I've learned a lot and listened to a lot and it's been great um but yeah I think part of it also just came out of necessity that um it just felt right, you know, that Dante is a rapper and wants to pursue a career in rapping, so he should rap. But I think what's really great about it is it's more than just we get to have these cool different types of music, but that they each act as like a second language for each of the characters. Um, and so Dante's musical language is rap and the RAs is a more traditional musical theater sound, but it, it tells you not just superficially that Dante wants to be a rapper, but it tells you so much about their characters, you know, the type of music that they, they do and um, the way they sing and, and the way their words are put together. And it was just a really fun way to explore character. Like one of my favorite things is in the RA song, in the, in the very first song in the show, so the song introduces us to each RA in their floor. And when Ricky starts singing, um, he has a line that says, uh, to use your time most wisely, here's some common sense. And what, what I loved about it is that he didn't sing it as, here's some common sense, but instead like he paused a second and swung it a little, like common sense and, you know, almost like a Sinatra song. And you know, it kind of gave him this like sleazy <laughs> sort of Vegas sound to him. And so I just think, yeah, um, it, it, it was a, it, it, whether it's the rap or the musical theater, it's just, it's a, it's, um, it tells you superficially about their characters, but also lets them express themselves in a unique way. It's a wonderful observation. I was trying to figure out what it was that made me write fuck Ricky several times <laughs> in my listening notes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, speaking of writing, fuck Ricky, um, <laughs> Dante runs the gauntlet of racism in his time at Z Hall and beyond. What is the importance to you both as creators of portraying the different forms racism can take in a satirical, humorous way, like Stephanie's fake white feminist allyship and obsession with pussy hats? I think for us, because a lot of the, the people who worked on the show are POC, I think a lot of it was just, you know, getting in a room and just talking about all our different experiences, like with just like the university and just like dealing with white liberals sometimes. And <laughs> um, I think I think that uh, 
like kind of informed the the jokes because they're all very they're all pretty much just taken from just different interactions everyone has and like i think that's what makes it kind of funny is the specificity of it and i think um like when you listen to like stephanie you can like identify the stephanies in your life and i think that's what like really like punctuates it and i think on one hand that stuff is like deeply frustrating to me and it like sometimes it just like pisses me off but then also just like the goofiness of it is just so funny but i think that's why it works so well and that's why i think a lot of people like gravitate towards it in a way that would be like if we tried to make if we try to play it more seriously and talk about like the the serious aspects of that i don't think it would get across as well maybe hmm so I find the tension um, within the character of Taylor to be incredibly informative and really interesting, um, especially in her song in episode two that switches from this brutal anger to an introspective sadness, which is, of course, a tension that we've seen replicated, particularly in white women um, over and over. So talk to me about Taylor, the character of Taylor, and and what she represents in the context of Childish. I think when we were making Taylor, we wanted to be like super careful, like that we weren't just like making an annoying character and like we're actually yeah. giving her like depth and like an arc that she could like follow. And um, I think like her arc is like specifically just about figuring out where where you you, you place yourself, like how like like Taylor is like like every character is like tormented by like how people perceive her and i think that informs some of her like selfishness and like like her perfectionist like attitudes and i think that's um what we wanted to kind of portray with her yeah you know because all of the characters are admittedly you know very cartoony the whole style of the show is very cartoony but we wanted to feel some element of like you get where she's coming from um, and I think she works as like a foil for Dante just because, you know, they, they both think that like there's one path and like, this is the way that you have to do it. And they both need to be the center of attention in that way and are constantly told that they're the best. Um, and in a way, like I, I get it and like, I feel for Taylor and like, because I wanted that sometimes. I wanted to be able to say, these are the next steps I have to take, you know? And she also, you know, I think represents sort of an amalgamation of characters in the real life RA experience. And when you have all that pressure on you, I think sometimes it's easy to act like that. Um, Just want to put out there that the team that I worked with um, team, not a staff, at, <laughs> as an RA, was, they were all really, see, it's drilled into my head. They were all really great. Um, but you definitely, we all kind of succumb to the worst things that define someone like Taylor sometimes. Not that, you know, every, again, not that everything is <laughs> the worst with her. She's also like really smart and kind of cool and talented and whatever. And also, I think a huge part of what works, at least I think Taylor works and, and why that character works to me is because of Kyla's performance. Yeah. Um, Kyla Wooten played her and she is real life Disney princess, Kyla Wooten, unbelievable human <laughs> being with just like the kindest, nicest person and an 
unbelievable actor and, and gorgeous voice, but she was so, she was so great that when we were directing her, I mean, she was actually also an RA. <laughs> um, so she knew exactly, yeah, what we were kind of tapping into in, in the type of person Taylor is. And she's such a great actor that, you know, if she does it one way and it's not quite what we're going for, the second we can describe it a little better, she's like, she's like, I got it. And um, is able to tap into it. So, all of your performers are really, really good. Um, yeah, we, we we think so too. <laughs> <laughs> we absolutely Thank lucked you. out with just the 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 people we got to because they they have never done any audio drama, audio fiction before. So it was really cool to work with them. And to some degree, neither really had we. I yeah. mean, M really, you know, does the van so much on her own. But yeah, and so it's a testament to their talent that, you know, if Ryan and I had no idea what we were doing <laughs> and, you know, that they could still pull off these incredible performances that they're, yeah. And also we lucked out just because we made this in like three weeks <laughs> and uh, yeah, what a, what a, what a nightmare. Wait, um, you made Childish in three weeks? We recorded everything in three weeks. <laughs> it, so we, <laughs> We were all like really under pressure at the time because we were all seniors pretty much. And we were like trying to finish school and this wasn't a school sanctioned thing. And so like we were also like kind of like sneaking around using their equipment at the school, like, you know, um, being like, oh, yeah, it's for my thesis film <clears throat> podcast. Um, and so, yeah, we we like we were like, OK, we got like a week or two to cast this. And we were just like desperate and to find people and we got very lucky that <laughs> there were there are just so many you know that the, the most incredible talented people happened to find our show and then yeah we ha I don't know it's like a very short turnaround time I don't remember exactly what for writing it um but it was just the nature of that like we didn't have a lot of money or time <laughs> so the in fact the credit to the musicians in particular who um, did not learn any of the music ahead of time. Um, they, we, we recorded all the music, I think in, um, two sessions and we came in, we were like, here is a PDF of the music that we want you to play. Also, it changes tempos like seven times within a song or whatever. <laughs> and they just like, they did it. So yeah, it's, we got very lucky in that. <laughs> You, you cannot see my face right now, but I hope you know that I was literally staring off into space with, like, my mouth open. <laughs> wow. Yeah, things just kind of got lucky. It says in your bio, Zachary, that your favorite musical is Singing in the Rain. So what is it about Singing in the Rain that you love so much? Um, it's just one of those movies that... Um, no matter how many times I watch it, it still makes me smile. It still makes me laugh. Um, it's just so funny. And, you know, there, there's for, for a studio film, for a, you know, old Hollywood studio film, it's, it's bizarrely unpolished in some ways to me, which I think <laughs> makes it really charming. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Every, every beat that's supposed to land, lands perfectly for me every time and it's like just never not funny to me and everyone is super talented you know so i don't know it just brings a smile to my face 
It is a very fun musical. In fact, after I read your bio, I was like, I really want to watch Singing in the Rain now. Oh, <laughs> you should. It's great. <laughs> um, Rye, what would you call your favorite or maybe even formative, uh, depending on which one you want to go with, uh, musical? Oof. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> I don't, I'm not a big musical person. Um, That's fair. So. I got news for you, Ryan Childish. <laughs> I, I hate to break it to you. But you did make a musical. It's a musical. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like, I like the, I'm very basic of my musical taste. I like Disney stuff. I'm a big fan of Les Mis. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. But like, I don't have any like cool musicals that I listen to because <laughs> I don't listen to cool musicals. Because <laughs> Singing in the Rain just screams cool <laughs> with those high-waisted knickerbockers and yeah, you know. Those are the cool kids. And twirling around poles with umbrellas. That's yeah. right. My favorite musical is the fake Planet of the Apes musical from Simpsons. I'll say that. Nice. I hate every ape <laughs> I see from, from Japan's. <laughs> A true chimpanzee. <laughs> the, the truth is, the only things that Ryan and I ever watch are Simpsons and SpongeBob. Simpsons for them, I'm just getting into it now. Um, but it's just like seared into our brains. <laughs> and so it's, 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 yeah. Like Ricky is just Squidward. Like, <laughs> I, oh my God, 100%. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, no, you're right. <laughs> Sorry, I had to stare into the void for a second there. Um, <laughs> so what musical artist would you say, um, or artists, plural, influenced the, let's say, structure of the narrative in Childish? Um, what, do you, what do you mean? What do you mean by artists? Uh, like musical artists of any kind, like, uh, you know, singers, bands, rappers, to well, because I, I don't know how much artists themselves influence the structure. I mean, you know, like they may have had um, an effect on the, the style, I guess, of it. But the structure more just came from like random musicals. Um, and and so like the R.A. song weirdly came out of tradition in Fiddler on the Roof because <laughs> I was like, I really love how there's like this one word that defines the whole theme of the show, you know? And so it was our attempt to try and do something like that. So I'm not sure if there was an artist that like affected the structure. I mean, or the, the musical design, I think is the other word that I music, sorry, design. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't want to, I, I really, you know, despite my, my credibility as a, as a rap artist, I can't <laughs> speak to, um, Kamau's influences as much um, on, you know, Kamau wrote all the rap music. And um, so I, you know, I can't speak for him in that. Um, but I know that we had talked about at least, um, you know, some style from some, like some of like Childish Gambino's style making its way into Dante's raps, at least it, certainly in the beginning when he's kind of like, you know, imitating him more. Um, and then outside of that, yeah, I, again, I, I, I wish I could talk about individual artists, but it was more a really haphazard, like pull from different shows. Um, and, um, 
really the vast majority of it, it of the the musical influence on the stuff that I worked on is is musical theater stuff. Um, I'm sure there might be like one I'm forgetting that wasn't, but um, and that was just like finding yeah. So it could be something like Fiddler on the Roof for how it works functionally in the show, and then stylistically, there's like a lot of uh, how to succeed in business in there and some Mary Poppins. And yeah, so I, I guess a lot of like that kind of sprightly Lerner and Lowe or Sherman Brothers or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that's that's actually exactly what I was looking for. Cool. Okay. <laughs> um, I only have one last question, and it is a fun one. I did say earlier that we would be returning to the underbelly comment. <laughs> and one of the questions that I have here is simply a statement. Most ridiculous RA story from your time at NYU. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I need a second to like go right ahead. Rye, do you have one that like for like that I've told you? Yeah, that, I'm trying to think. Um, um, okay, I could. I'm I'm still struggling to think of a new one, but the Metro card scene in episode one was a real thing that happened to me. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's why I include it was very easy to write because this lady just like came off the street and just was like demanding that I refill her Metro card. And I'm like, I dude, like I give out toilet paper like I, <laughs> I, I don't know how to help you. And it was like it was this whole thing. And like, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Basically, how it happens in the episode is exactly how it <laughs> unfolds and <laughs> folded. That's actually like amazing news. I have been so <laughs> curious as to how many of the hijinks that take place in the musical are real ones. Um, There's so many things where the line, like, we just literally took the lines that were said <laughs> out loud. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then there's times where, like, the line is a little blurry where it's like it was kind of it kind of happened and it was kind of fiction. But, yeah. So that that one was real. Yeah, that's actually really delightful. I love that. Well, first of all, uh, that's also, like, terrifying. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) But it's also really delightful that it it feels, it does make childish feel like this stranger than fiction line where now that, you know, everyone who listens to this now will know, right, that you were RAs and some of these things were real, like the Metro card scene. And it creates this really great atmosphere of, like, fact and fiction together and that like this is the reality and we just turned it up the dial a little bit right yeah yeah and i'm i'm glad that comes through because i i think kind of back to what we were saying at the very beginning about whale bus that childish is is basically like exactly what we wanted out of whale bus you know like we could have just written well we could we couldn't have like we could have tried to just write this ourselves or whatever but it it wouldn't have worked it wouldn't have been as good and it wouldn't have been as fun either and I think what was so great about it is we just we love working with other people that we like (laughs) and everybody brought a very real perspective to the script and whether that's you know my experience being an RA or you know most of the team are people of color and brought so much of their perspectives and you know it was so much fun to bounce ideas off each other and make each other's work better 
with our own authentic experiences, you know? And it, and it really came out, at the, like, we really wrote it at the exact right time, because it was just, like, when we're reflecting on all this stuff, and, like, we're, you can, like, just see, like, college is, like, a fucking weird, like, Twin Peaks world. It doesn't make sense. And there's <laughs> nope. so many things that happen. You're like, what? Why did that happen? And it feels like the most important thing in the world yeah. when it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's so, like, you get so insular about it, and you realize, like, this is not, like, life. But it is life, but it's not life. It's the college bubble. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, you have both been stellar interviewees. Thank you for making me laugh so much. Asha. <laughs> You've been great yourself. And yeah, we love Childish, so can't wait to hear more of it. Yeah, us, us, us either. I, try, childish, the unfinished podcast musical, <laughs> one, one day. <laughs> Thank you so much to Rye and Zachary for coming on to Radio Drama Revival. I had an absolute blast, and I'm sure our audience did too. If you would like to find out more about podcasts from Whalebus, you can do so at whalebus.net. If you want to hear more of our conversation, including a discussion about satirizing investigative podcasts, we have extended cuts of all our interviews at our Patreon. Become a patron and support our work at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. Other than Patreon, you can also support Radio Drama Revival by buying our merch at our shop at radiodramarevival.com slash shop. There's racerback tanks that I can confirm are very comfortable for, say, doing an intense dance routine to Broadway show tunes. And now we bring you our Moment of Will. Hello, pal. In this Moment of Will, I want to talk about a very underrated and very short Broadway musical. This musical is 21 Chump street not not jump but chump like oh like look at that chump like c-h-u-m-p this is a 14-minute broadway musical that was created by lynn manuel miranda and was debuted on this american life 21 chump street you might actually be kind of familiar with it if you're on tiktok do y'all remember that trend of of the the audio that was like i don't want your money got this just for you keep your money that's that's what this is from the audio when isolated can make for a good meme but its roots are pretty serious 21 chump street which you can watch in full on youtube we'll link this in the show notes of course is the true story of a police sting operation in a high school there was an undercover cop who attended a high school for the purpose of finding a drug dealer at the school, just like 21 Jump Street. The problem is that one of the students fell head over heels for her, but she still wanted to make an arrest. Clearly, it's, it's a fairly heavy topic, but I think it's prescient and pervasive and I think it's well worth a watch again at just 14 minutes it shows a true story that happens more often than you might think while also having yeah some killer music so again that's 21 chump street I'll link it in the show notes and hey pal um you take care of yourself you know um listen to a song that you haven't listened to since you were I don't know, maybe in high school or in junior high that you really loved 
and try to remember what you loved about it. Don't judge yourself when you do it. Just, just enjoy. That means it's time for the credits. This episode was recorded in Portland, Oregon, which is the unceded territory of the Chinook Indian Nation, the Cowlitz Indian Tribe, and the Clackamas Tribe. If you are seeking ways in which to donate to Native communities, the Navajo and Hopi community have a relief fund at www.gofundme.com f Navajo Hopi community relief. The link will be in our episode description. Our theme music is Reunion of the Space Ducks by the band Kylo Kaas. You can find their music on Free Music Archive. Our line producer and associate interviews producer is Will Williams. Our senior interviews producer is Eli Hamada McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our researcher is Heather Cohen. Our social media manager is Ann Baird. Our submissions editor is Rashika Rao. Our executive producers are Fred Greenhouch and David Reinstrom. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez-Collins, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers, welcome. Welcome.